The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. James Renahan. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Today for Morning Devotions, we have a, a guest preacher who is really no guest. He's family. And in fact, over the last 20 years, most of the time, Dr. Jim Renahan has brought us devotions. He got no introduction. Which we viewed him so much as faculty. Uh, he's been the dean of the Institute of Reformed Baptist Studies here on our campus. This is the 20th year, so he has taught maybe some of you, but many of you he's taught before that in various courses that we've accepted into our uh, our own MDiv program has been a good brother, good friend. And now the Association of Reformed Baptist Churches in America uh, is uh, ready to launch their own seminary based in Texas. So this will be the last time Dr. Renahan will be bringing the word to us, at least in our present connection. Maybe you'll be back out as he's the new president. So uh, back out to visit us from time to time. We're looking forward to the word again from you, Jim. Thank you. Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. Listen to the Word of God. A Song of Ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. May God's blessing be on this reading from his word. Let's pray together. O Lord, we humbly ask you to help us, to encourage us, to teach us from your word. In Christ's name, amen. Just 11 days ago, 10 days ago, On the evening of April the 2nd, 13-year-old Jesse Hernandez was jumping on a wooden plank at a decommissioned Los Angeles sanitation facility. When the plank gave way and Jesse fell 25 feet down into the underground sewer system. Imagine what that fall must have been like. Did he reach out and try to catch himself on the edge of the opening? Was he wounded in this? Did he scream as he fell? What was the sound that echoed through the pipe? When he hit the water in the sewer, was he sickened by the odor? You see, Jesse was in grave danger, trapped in a labyrinth of four-foot-wide underground tunnels. He was carried by water flowing at 15 miles per hour in darkness full of raw sewage. Jesse spent 12 hours in that sewer system until he was rescued nearly a half mile away from where he fell. 
After his rescue, he said, I was just praying to God to help me and to not die. And I'm sure that this was not a momentary prayer, but it was a prayer that was accompanied by shouts to his rescuers. In fact, I would imagine that it was an all-consuming plea that lasted for 12 hours. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my prayer. This is a recent picture in real-life terms of our psalm and the psalmist. What does our psalmist do in a similar predicament? Psalm 130 is the 11th of the 15 songs of ascent, songs that pilgrims sang on their way up to Jerusalem. Most of the songs of ascent call the singers to look upwards. We read phrases such as, I lift up my eyes to the hills, or as the mountains surround Jerusalem. Well, at the same time, some of the Psalms speak of lowliness. We are in contempt. We are objects of scorn. The next Psalm, Psalm 131, is a Psalm of humility. Well, our Psalm is like these in that it expressed descent, even while the singers are climbing up to the city. It's a humble lament seeking after God. If we were to fall into a sewer system, as did Jesse, we'd be in great physical danger and in death, uh, leading to death. But paradoxically, what we find in this psalm is that the psalmist is in a good situation because it sends him to his only hope, and his only hope is the Lord. The language that is used here is familiar language in the Old Testament. It's the language of watery danger, of chaos, a familiar picture. And it is intended to bring to our minds a sense of spiritual despondency. The figure calls to mind a person in a hopeless situation such as Jesse Hernandez faced, deep in old sewer pipes, near to drowning in the darkness, not knowing when rescue would come. And I could imagine you and I would cry out as loudly as we possibly could, even in the roar of moving water, for as long as we could, hoping for rescue in that deep and dark place. You see, there's a sense of urgency in the psalm. Even the repetition is important. Oh, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my prayer. Let your voice be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Does the Lord need reminders of the psalmist's trouble? No. But his urgency requires these repeated cries over and over. And so must ours. Why is it that the psalmist must cry out? Well, it's not because he has stumbled into danger, but rather it's because he put himself there by his own sin. You know, strangely, that's the case with Jesse Hernandez as well. The news accounts tell us that this abandoned sanitation plant was surrounded by fences. I haven't seen any indication of how he made his way through the fence. Did he climb over? Did he find a place where it was broken? Did he go underneath? Somehow he went where he shouldn't go and put himself into grave danger. The psalmist here has become keenly aware of his own sin, and he's crushed by its guilt. Not just feelings of guilt, but he's crushed by the knowledge that he has violated God's law and has incurred the wrath of God. He knows that he is truly guilty 
for the actions that he has taken. Now, we don't have in the heading of this psalm any indication of its author. Perhaps it was David. In several of these psalms of ascent, we do find that David is designated as the author. 122, 124, 131, 133. If it's David, it could be one of those moments when he realizes the reality of his sin. Or maybe it's another Old Testament figure. We don't know. And in a sense, that's good because it allows this psalm to become particularly applicable to all of us. What the psalmist does is he calls on Yahweh, on Adonai. And curiously and counterintuitively, he finds himself in a good situation because his knowledge of sin and honesty with its nature as a violation of God's holiness brings him to despair with no place to go and nowhere to hide, alone and death is lurking nearby, and so he looks upward and he calls to God in the midst of his trouble. It's the right action here in the face of the awareness of the depths of sin to cry out to the Lord for help. Now notice verses 3 and 4, because the psalmist tells us why he is in this circumstance. It's not simply because he remembers his sin, although the crushing weight of his sin is great, but rather he finds himself in this condition because of what he knows of God. Verses 3 and 4 turn our attention to God. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The psalmist knows that God is a righteous judge, a perfect remembrancer. He knows all of our sins, external and internal. We often consider ourselves and excuse ourselves. We underplay our actions. We're like little children who at the end of the day, when their parents sit down with them and say, have you been a good girl today? Have you been a good boy today? What's the typical answer that they will give? They'll say, oh yes, daddy, I have been. And yet a little bit of probing by dad demonstrates that she hasn't really been a good girl and he hasn't really been a good boy and has violated some of the commandments of the household during the day. If you, Lord, should mark iniquity, think just of the commandments of the moral law. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make a graven image. You must keep my name holy. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Who of us keeps these commandments flawlessly? And if the Lord should mark our iniquities, could we stand? In fact, true conviction of sin is a terrible reality. Standing before God is the most awful scene that any of us can possibly imagine without a mediator. To stand before him who knows all and sees all, who knows us better than we know ourselves, nothing could be worse. And the psalmist tells us that no one can stand before God. You see, his knowledge of God, his theology, brings him to this place because he knows that this is true about the Lord God. But he doesn't leave us there. The same God 
before, the, before whom no one is able to stand, is the God who is full of forgiveness, pardon, remission, and acceptance, who gives access to himself. The multitude of the psalmist's transgressions are forgiven and removed. And this becomes for him the promise that delivers him from these depths. It's the rescue team that takes him out of the well just at the point of death. And the goal of this is the fear of God. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Honor, reverence, thankfulness, love, to move us from the shivering, cold, damp rottenness of the sewer to thankfulness for rescue and new life. You could see that on the young man's face after he was rescued some 12 hours into his ordeal. You see, the psalmist wants us to realize that God is to be feared for two reasons. On the one hand, if he should mark iniquity, no one could stand before him. And we are all sinners. But on the other hand, God is to be feared because he grants forgiveness to all who call upon him for forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is terrible in his judgment, and he is gracious in the forgiveness that he grants. And so the psalmist now becomes very confident. While verses 3 and 4 are in anticipation of rescue, you know, in the story of Jesse Hernandez, it's really fascinating to, to read about how they found him and what he did. At, at one point, he was able to see some light that came through a grate above him, and somehow he found that he was able to stop and stay there, assuming that because there was light, that might be a place where he could be rescued. And indeed, that was the fact. The psalmist here knows that someone will come to take him out of the depths. And so verses 5 and 6 are about confidence. They take the promise of deliverance to calm the soul in its danger. Patience. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. And then it's repeated, more than watchmen for the morning. Patience teaches us dependence upon the Lord. And here the psalmist tells us that the object of his waiting is the Lord himself, the one who forgives sins and the one who gives hope. See, the word of promise is a lifeline to the psalmist. It's the only resource that he has, but he is able to say rescue will come and sin will be forgiven. It's interesting that in the Psalms, frequently the Lord rescues people in the morning. And that's apparently what he expects. The watchman on the city walls looks for danger, for attack from enemies. This is repeated two times. We can imagine those long hours of darkness and silence at night, which are often full of terror and fear. Children are afraid. Adults hear noises and wonder what's happening. Thieves work at night. Wild beasts hunt at night. The hours of darkness cannot be hurried. All that can be done is wait. But in this waiting and watching, there is a promise. In this word, I will hope. The Lord will deliver me. Because the psalmist knows that the Lord will keep his promise always. And so he moves forward in verses 7 and 8 to speak words of great comfort. 
And though these are words of the psalmist, they're words that point us to the Savior. He's learned his lesson. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. Israel cannot stand before the Lord because of iniquities, but the Lord will redeem him. Hope in the Lord. Place your confident trust in him. Remember who he is, eternal, immutable, faithful, tender, loving. And he never forgets his promise, but always keeps it. His love is steadfast, unwavering, consistent, genuine, and divine. He gives, he provides plentiful redemption from the worst of our sins that plague our consciences. He redeems us by his own action in sending Jesus Christ that his wrath might be satisfied and his grace might be manifest to us. You see, the psalmist here realizes that deliverance is not a result of self-salvation. He doesn't pull himself out of the figurative pit, but rather deliverance is the action of God alone. God is the one who gives his son to rescue us from the wrath that is rightly due to our sins. See, notice here that the psalmist thinks about God and the truths about him. It's theology that delivers the psalmist from his danger, his awareness of God, this eternal, immutable, everywhere present God who is faithful to his word of promise and who will redeem his people from all of their transgressions, their real guilt, their violations of his holy will. They are truly forgiven by the judge of the universe. Of course, we know that this is done only through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The psalmist looked forward to his coming. We look backwards to the redemption that is complete and accomplished in his death and resurrection, his ascension now to the right hand of the Father in heaven. The one who lived a life of perfect righteousness and died in order to satisfy the demands of law against us. So by faith, we read this psalm and hope in his word, knowing that we may receive the forgiveness of sins through Christ. We can say with the psalmist that our God is great and holy and he is tender and loving through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the depths become a place of hope, a place to lift up our eyes, a song of ascents. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy and the deliverance that comes to us through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.